Hello and welcome to the CFA UK podcast series on climate change. My name is John Tehan and I'm a portfolio manager with Redwheel. In these CFA UK podcasts, we hope to shed light on issues facing portfolio managers, analysts and others within the financial industry as we face the challenge of climate change. In this episode, I'm joined by James Alexander. James is Chief Executive of UK SIF, the UK Sustainable Investment and Finance Association. James also serves as Chair of the Global Sustainable Investment Alliance and serves as Treasurer of EUROSIF, the European Sustainable Investment Forum. James has represented UK SIF at Treasury and Department of Work and Pension Select Committees and is a member of multiple government and regulatory working groups. Previously, James supported global megacities to overcome the substantial barriers to financing climate action as director of the City Finance Programme at the C40 Cities Climate Leadership Group and head of the C40 Cities Finance Facility. James has worked on international climate finance issues at the UN level and remains a member of the UN Sustainable Development Solutions Network's Global Commission for Urban SDG Finance. Welcome, James. Thank you very much, John. Great to be here. Well, let's start with your own journey. James, can you trace your career path for us from perhaps when you left university to taking over as CEO of UKCF? Yeah, I mean, I guess there's there's no such thing as a standard career path these days, is there? And I think I'm, I'm no exception to that. So, uh, yeah, I um, when I left university, I was elected president of the National Union of Students in Scotland. Um, and uh, that was just a phenomenally exciting period. It was right at the change um, uh, of government from, from when there was a Labour government in Scotland to, to the SNP, who are obviously still in power. Um, and uh, it was a, an amazing time to be, uh, to be in Scottish politics and working, um, representing in fact half a million students across Scotland um, to the government and uh, making change. And, you know, it's still lasting things that, are, that, that happened in my time there that, that, that I'm still proud of. There's no tuition fees in Scotland, for example. That was one of the things that, that happened on my watch. So yeah, an awful lot, an awful lot there. And um, after that, I moved into um, a, a membership network called the Scottish Council for Development and Industry, um, all about creating sustainable economic prosperity for Scotland. Um, and as part of that, I got interested in cities. Um, and uh, you mentioned a little bit about that in my bio a second ago. Um, and uh, one of the things that we did, we got all the all the mayors of all the cities across Scotland together um, and said uh, and said said to them, "How are you going to work together to grow the economy?" And they kind of looked. At each other and we're not going to work with these guys and we said no there's stuff you can do and one of those things was sustainability actually um so there is stuff you can do to to learn from each other to work together to, to achieve more in collectively than you would do individually um and that that led to the creation in scotland of the scottish cities alliance um which is still going still brings the cities together still a lot happening in fact there's a load of work on hydrogen power being done in, in scottish cities which is pretty cool um and that cities approach moved me into c40 which is the global um, network for the world's biggest cities working to cut their emissions and become more sustainable. So that obviously had a sustainability and cities component to it. I was there for seven years. C40 grew massively in that time. I was um, there when I started, there were about 25 staff. When I left, there were 300. Um, and so seeing an organization grow and develop, um, and, and I was partly responsible for some of that growth. My team went from just me to 25 people. Um, and uh, we uh, managed to secure 40 million pounds of grants from the UK government, the German government, and the US um, to create the project preparation facility that you mentioned, the C40 Cities Finance Facility. Um, and that was helping cities in developing countries to structure transactions. Um, to, to, to create sustainable transactions. And this has been something that's moved with me into uh, my UK SIF role because what I had concluded or thought at the time was that cities 
it was really in developing countries that cities had these problems of creating transactions because what was happening was um, cities were saying, hey, James, we've got a great project, um, but no one's financing it. And I would speak to finance guys and say, hey, but why are you not financing these great projects? And they'd say, these aren't great projects. They're great ideas, but they're not great projects. I can't finance an idea. I've got to finance a project. And so what we were doing was we were adding that bit in the middle to turn an idea, a good idea that the city had strong passion for and commitment to, into something that people could, could, could finance. Um, and that's a you know there's an element to which that's still a problem here in the UK. Um, you know, get the 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 cities of the UK to be producing more, and and I think this is part of where we're thinking about from the GFAN side of things as well. How can we create sustainable transactions that that people can put their GFAN's commitments into? So yeah, that's a little bit of my my background, and uh, and and that led me to UK SIF, where I started three years ago. Just to tease out some of those projects, can you give us you know, a real life example of one of the projects that you worked on? Yeah, um, so it's pretty amazing, actually. There's uh, across my LinkedIn every every month or so. There's another city project moves forwards and and and, and is announced. So um, uh, Curitiba, which is a city in Brazil, um, has just announced the last couple of months. Um, they've got a, a landfill, an, an old landfill that's got. They're going to put solar panels right over the top of the old landfill. So it's a great use of of land that you wouldn't use uh, for other purposes. Um, there are there's a whole new busway operating in Mexico City, an elevated busway which takes the bus off the traffic and makes it go much faster. Um, and makes it a much more useful mode of transport than, than going by car. Um, there's electric buses um, in quite a few cities now around the world that I helped to make happen. Um, and uh, and then Durban in South Africa is doing a stormwater drainage project. So it's not just on uh, emissions reduction, it's also on uh, climate resilience as well. So stormwater drainage is a big problem in, in many cities, Durban no exception, and this is a whole program to, to, to create the drainage programs and system for that. So some incredible projects across the world. And uh, yeah, I, I, miss, I miss not traveling as much. Um, uh, with this job because uh, it's UK focused, but uh, um, but certainly there's 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 some really exciting things happening in the UK too, which I'm now proud to be part of. And those projects, they're, they're really tangible. Do you miss that? That there's something really tangible you can see the project going through to the very end. Maybe when you were working with UK SIF, it's not as tangible at times to see the results. I mean, yeah, that's very that's very true. You can you can you know you can touch, you can see it, you can feel it. And one of the one of the hardest things I think about finance, as opposed to other areas of sustainability, is that it's hard to go on a site visit to see anything exciting uh, with, with with financial services. Um, whereas if you're working in renewable energy or in transport or other things, you can see it, you can feel it, you can you can you can see it on the landscape and see the difference it's making. Um, having said that. I think one of the things that is exciting with the work that we're doing in the UK right now is that we can see tangibly the regulatory environment changing, the, the, the policy environment changing, um, and the impact that that's having on people's daily lives and the work that they do um, from on a day-to-day basis is, is, is really tangible. So, so it's not, not stuff you can touch and see and feel, but it is stuff that you can see happening and changing around you and, and know that you had a role and input into that and, and, and helped shape that is pretty exciting. And so what, what was the attraction? That sounds very attractive, obviously, but you had that even more tangible project that you were working on or projects that you were working on. So what got you to leave that and to take up the position as, as chief executive of UKCF? I mean, suppose if you think about what I what I've run through in terms of the things that I've done, the thing I, I like building things, creating things, moving things forwards. And, um, you know, I'd been at C40 for seven years. I'd created the C40 Cities Finance Facility, created an amazing program, got lots of funders involved in what we're doing. Um, I concluded that I'd taken it as far as I could in terms of moving on new ideas, big, bold new plans, um, and that it was time for, for someone else to, uh, to take the reins and run it and, and run it as a kind of entity, but not necessarily with a view to dramatically you know, 
growing or expanding it further. Um, and I, and I, so I was looking for a new challenge, and that's where uh, UK SIF came along. And, and I think you know we've 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 substantially changed the organisation in the time that I've been here. I'm really proud of, of the work that we as a team have achieved. You know, we've doubled uh, membership numbers. Our AUM of our members is now 19 trillion pounds, which is phenomenal. Um, we've now got 11 staff. When I started, we were just over four. So you know, things have really moved on, um, and I'm really proud of the impact that we're having because it's not just about how many staff you have or how many members. It's about what you can do with that. And we've been involved in so many things that have been really exciting recently, including shaping the, the whole regulatory landscape across the UK, which I'm really, really pleased about. And, um, and, and, and now embarking on a new program to try and um, promote the voice of the sustainable finance industry in the forthcoming UK election as well. And that's something I really want to get into, but what you said laterally, but also how you've been working with regulators and the, and the various stakeholders within the, the UK landscape. What surprised me when I was looking at your website before the call was that, that you've celebrated the 30th anniversary of UK SIF in 2021. Yeah, and then you talk about the growth. So it's been around for a long time, but it's suddenly really taken off. Can you talk a little bit about the history of, of the organization? Yeah, absolutely. So UK SIF was founded in 1991. Um, then it was called the UK Social Investment Forum. Um, and uh, we managed to very cleverly, uh, or my predecessors, I suppose, managed to very cleverly keep the same acronym, but change it to UK Sustainable Investment and Finance Association. So, so still UK SIF, um, with an A at the end, perhaps. Um, uh, so, so yeah, we, we were founded in, in the early 90s. And, uh, you know, I, I always think about how much harder my predecessors faced um, faced the world than, than I do. In the 90s, if you went trying to knock on the doors of financial institutions and say, hey guys, sustainability is really important, you'd probably been laughed out of town. And I think you know the, the, the work that my predecessors did to, to make this organization, to, to build it, to grow it, to, to turn it into something was is something so commendable. I got so much respect for the work that was done in the past. And um, and so, yeah, so we went through, through 30 years. We... Uh, um, in that time, responsible for a huge amount of the development. We were one of the first sustainable or social investment organizations, as it was then, to be, to be created. US SIF um, was founded around about the same time. Um, one of the first things we did was to try and put a, a joint US, UK and, 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 and other countries um, communicate into the Rio Earth Summit, which happened in the early 90s. Um, there's a joint communique um, uh, that, that, that we put forward to that. Um, we uh, did a lot of work with um, politicians um, the Labour government at the end of the 90s um, was very interested in this um, uh, and there's still quite a lot of Stephen Timms and uh, other MPs that were ministers um, in the Tony Blair's government um, did actually take forward quite a bit. So we actually had, you know, we've got some amazing photographs of receptions in Downing Street and other things that we had. Um, our 20th anniversary actually was in the House of Lords. Um, uh, and sadly, because we were in the middle of COVID lockdown, our 30th anniversary was on Zoom. So, so we, um, we, we definitely didn't have that House of Lords moment for our 30th anniversary, but it's something that I, that I would really like to do. I think there's a huge opportunity to bring this industry together into the heart of our democracy. Um, and certainly that's something I'd like to do in the future. I feel like we missed out in our 30th anniversary, but we had some, it was an amazing event. We had, um, albeit that it was all online, we had the minister, John Glenn at the time, he spoke, um, uh, but we also had some some of the leaders of the sustainable finance industry throughout the year. So people like uh, Steve Waygood, um, Emma Howard Boyd, um, Daniel Satar from Big Issue Invest, who was our first ever paid employee with UK SIF. You know, some amazing people have been through the through this organization, whether it's in the board, whether it's been on the staff team. Um, and so we, uh, yeah, we, we celebrated the, the successes um, through the years. 
But I think you can certainly celebrate an anniversary off the big round numbers. So <laughs> <it's> <laughs> absolutely encourage you to, to look at 33. Um, <laughs> so thinking about UKCF and thinking about the, the wider landscape of sustainability within the UK, what would be really helpful is to just help pay the pitch for us. What is you know what are the main players or who are the main players? The government departments, the regulators, the industry bodies, because as generalists and, and analysts within the industry, we're facing all these different acronyms and different organizations and trying to get your head around where all the, the pieces fit is quite difficult. So maybe you can paint that picture for us. Yeah, absolutely. So we, we work very closely with a number of government departments. Um, the, uh, the, the key ones probably are obviously the Treasury. Um, the Treasury does have a really big role on sustainable finance, um, kind of leading some of the regulatory drives. They're working on the green taxonomy at the moment. That's being led through the Treasury. Um, the Treasury was part of the green finance strategy. Um, and we spend a lot of time speaking to officials and ministers in the Treasury and um, uh, moving things forward. Now, the Treasury has an interesting role. It's simultaneously the uh, financial services regulator, sort of department responsible for that. But it's also the main department for spending government money and taxing. Um, and so it's got a much, much broader economic um, objective and perspective than, than just running the financial services industry or overseeing the financial service industry. So there is definitely a question in my mind about whether, you know, for an industry that, that, that I think is responsible for 14% of the tax that's brought in in the UK, um, whether we get enough government attention in, in the form of the form of the right government departments. But, uh, you know, the Treasury is where, is where we're broadly regulated from at the moment. Um, we also work very closely with the Department for Energy, Security and Net Zero, DESNES, um, uh, as well as the Department for Business and Trade, which used to collectively make up Bayes Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy, but that's now been split into two parts. Um, uh, pensions, particularly particularly um, uh, uh, non-local authority pensions are regulated through the Department for Work and Pensions, uh, who we work with quite closely, um, albeit that there's not been a lot of major financial regulation or changes to pensions in the last couple of years. Um, but in the past, UKSIF has done a lot of work on pensions, um, uh, and uh, but, we, but we haven't had a Pensions Act for a couple of years, so uh, um, I'm not sure when that's next scheduled to change, but, uh, but, but we'll, we'll see what happens after the election. Um, so they're, they're the key departments that, that we work with. DEFRA to an extent, which is responsible for, um, for the environment. So that's kind of where the nature side of the UK's policy work um, would come through is, is DEFRA. Um, in terms of regulators, um, the main regulator we work with regularly is, is the FCA. Um, but of course, there are, there are others. Um, there's the pensions regulator. Um, there's, of course, the Bank of England. Um, and then there's um, the FRC, which is uh, responsible for the stewardship code. So there's, you know, there's quite a strong and sort of varied regulatory landscape. Um, uh, we've just had a Financial Services Act go through Parliament, which has which has beefed up the responsibilities of the regulators in relation to climate change. Um, uh, and, and just before that, the regulators all got a letter from the government saying they needed to have regard to the UK's net zero obligations. Now, the UK. Um, one of the final acts of Theresa May as Prime Minister was to, to make the UK the first major economy in the world to set in law a net zero target. So the UK um, must be net zero in law by 2050, um, uh, but also has a 2035 target, um, uh, which is a substantial emissions reduction by 2035. Um, and uh, I think the concern is that we're not on a pathway to meet either of those um, uh, pathways uh, or targets. Um, so. Part of our role is to keep pushing to make sure that that happens and to, and to, and to, to move those things forward. Um, 
it make, I'm making it sound like climate change is the main thing that we work on. It isn't. Um, climate change is a big part of our work. Um, uh, but broader environmental, so the other kind of bits of the E of ESG um, issues, so things like nature loss and biodiversity are really big topics and growing in importance, actually. Um, and then we've got the S, so we work on social issues as well. Um, so things like modern day slavery, um, working conditions, um, diversity and inclusion are, are, are all within our wheelhouse as well. And we'll come back to those. Before we move away from painting that picture, you've, you've mentioned the different regulators there. And of course, off-gym is important. And we've both been involved in writing a letter about getting that net zero mandate for off-gym. And then where does the Climate Change Committee fit in in all of this? Yeah, so the Climate Change Committee is a really interesting thing for the UK to have. It's an independent committee that's responsible for giving advice to government on how it's, how it's getting on with achieving its climate objectives. Um, in recent years, the Climate Change Committee has been painting quite a, quite a depressing picture, um, firstly, of the worsening of the climate situation globally, um, uh, the acceleration of climate impacts that we've been seeing, but also in, uh, in the sense that the UK is not meeting its obligations and not on track to, uh, to achieve its objectives. And one of the things that's been alarming about the last few months in, in UK politics is we've seen the Prime Minister say, you know, make very public, strong messages saying we're really on track with our net zero commitments. We're so on track, in fact, that, that we can water everything down. We don't need to work as hard. We don't need to have such a big impact on people. Um, uh, and so therefore, you know, watering down some of the commitments that, that have been made, things like electric vehicle um, targets and, uh, and, and changing the carbon market. But at the same time, you've got the climate, climate change committee coming out and saying that we're not on target, we're not on track, we need to work harder, we need to work faster. And um, so there is, you know, there's a real disconnect at in, in government of the policies that we that we need to get back on track with our commitments and not being not 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 what's coming out um from from the government at the moment could we compare the the climate change committee perhaps to the office for budget responsibility it's giving independent advice on what the government policy is doing in terms of alignment here with the net zero strategy I think that's a really, a really nice way to put it actually um uh, you know it's, it's definitely an independent uh, body um it's very vocal. It's doing some really interesting work. It creates amazing reports. It's really worth going on their website and looking at the reports they put out because they are so expert um, and, and, and so well put together. Um, so the government is extremely lucky to have the quality of advice that it has. Now we need them to follow that advice. And again, then just to continue understanding the different moving parts in the industry, we've got different task forces. And one, obviously, was the, the task force in climate-related financial disclosure, which we're all very familiar with now, the TCFD. But then we've had the task, uh, the transition plan task force. Hmm. We've also had a different task force called the Capital Markets Industry Task Force. And they're all kind of linked in a way. So maybe if you can tell us how the transition plan task force is building on the TCFD, what, what gap was, was needing to be filled there, and maybe how the International Standards or Sustainability Standards Board disclosures are underpinning all of that as well. Yeah, this is, there's some really amazing and interesting working groups uh, going on. I can talk about some more that I'm part of as well. There's, it seems we, so we've all got working group fatigue at this point. There's so much happening. But, you know, it's good. It's positive. Things are moving forward. Um, and, that's, and that's what we want. So, um, so, so the Transition Plan Task Force was, was actually announced by the Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, albeit in his role as Chancellor of the Exchequer at COP26. Um, and uh, his announcement was that um, the UK will be the world's first net zero financial centre, something that we said, that's fantastic. You know, our, our next question was, what is it? Um, and uh, that preceded a huge piece of work for us, um, UK CIF. Um, we did a, a net zero inquiry. We got 
about 200 of our members involved um, in engaging with us to try and figure out what does a net zero financial center look like um, and why is it a good thing? And we've done a really nice report on that, which is available on our website if you want to take a look. Um, the, uh, so, the, so the Transition Plan Task Force was, was a core part of that um, approach. It's developing a gold standard process for transition plans with the idea that all corporates Certainly all corporates over a certain size um, should be eventually required to have a transition plan, um, which in our mind would probably go a bit further than some of them are going, but, but broadly it should, it should take those corporates to the point where they're, where they're aligned with the UK's net zero obligations. I don't think that specific piece is, is in there at the moment. Um, but, but yeah, we're about to see the, the, final, the final bits of, of, and bits and pieces from that transition plan task force. We've been involved in it in some ways. Um, we're part of the uh, users and preparers working group um, looking at what's, what, in this context, a user of a, of a transition plan is de determined or defined as the financial services industry or the market that might be using that information to make investment decisions. Um, I actually think that's a very limited definition of users, incidentally. I think we should be thinking of the user predominantly as the company that's preparing it because it's their plan for how they can become more sustainable. But that was a nuance that was, uh, that, was that, that I raised often but uh, and people got but, but, but needed to move on. So, um, so, so yeah, so this is producing a gold standard transition plan for the UK. Um, and that, the hope is that that will be eventually um, combined with the ISSB, which you just mentioned, um, and that is an international framework um, pulled together by the same people that create the International Accounting Standards, the IFRS Foundation, um, and the idea is it's an international framework for corporate um, sustainability reporting. Um, and this is part of a really important agenda to try and harmonize um, sustainable finance regulation globally. Um, something we really care about. You mentioned at the beginning that I'm also chair of the Global Sustainable Investment Alliance, and many of UK SIF's members are inter operate internationally. And so as part of this international alliance, we're working to promote the necessity for more global alignment on sustainable finance regulation. Um, our view is that what we need to see is a task force, some sort of international task force, um, looking at sustainable finance regs in different countries and saying, okay, if there's three countries that are all asking the same question of investors, but asking it in different ways, is there a potential for them to harmonize the way that they do that so that investors need to only answer one question rather than three? Um, this is not specifically not trying to create a lowest common denominator approach, but what it is trying to do is make sure that there is, there is a, where possible, um, less of a regulatory burden f to achieve the things that we want to achieve. Um, so that's the ISSB. And I guess that's the question is that with all of these regulations coming through and there's different um, voluntary frameworks as well that we could discuss, but there's a huge burden on both investors like ourselves and on the corporates. And when we go to the, the, the other task force I mentioned, which is the Capital Markets Industry Task Force, a lot of what they talk about is, is, is trying to take away some of this burden and to release corporates and to release investors to have more action rather than to be focused on reporting. So I guess if you can achieve what you're talking about there is, is bringing together different frameworks at an international level, you can, you can help companies to do that in, in, in terms of reducing how many different frameworks they're reporting to. Yeah, I, I, absolutely right. Reduce the, the, the number of frameworks that people are reporting to. If there's, there's you know, quite a lot of duplication, but duplication in a way that's not easy to just copy and paste, um, you know, get rid of that if we can. Um, I think, though, what we wouldn't say is we want to just throw out all the regulation. We think that there is a really important role for regulation and that regulation is, is driving activity in many parts of the industry. Specifically, um, regulation is helping to address greenwashing. Um, uh, and we know that there's a really big problem that consumers do not, particularly retail investors, do not feel fully confident that the that they 
that they can trust the sustainable products that they're being presented with. Um, and so the UK's investment labeling framework, I've been part of the, the working group for this, but the FCA um, is designed to try and build investor confidence um, and protect consumers from greenwashing. And actually what that will also do, the effect, the positive effect of that, it will also um, promote and I think build a lot of credibility on if something's marked as sustainable, people can trust that. And it will mean that those people, those investments, those firms that are putting in all the all the extra effort to make really genuinely positive sustainable products um, will not be undercut by people that are saying that they're making sustainable products but aren't actually putting in the work. Um, and I think that can only be a positive thing for the, for the industry. So yeah, a, a lot of positive developments. We don't want to see all regulation thrown out. But I think the really interesting thing is that the UK's green finance strategy, which was published at the beginning of this year, we were heavily involved in, in, in feeding into it. Um, there's a few a few bits and pieces still to be enacted in there, including the UK green taxonomy. Um, uh, but but once those things are enacted, the regulatory landscape in the UK is broadly complete. There are you know bits and pieces to still to be done, but but we're broadly there. There's not huge need for the sort of sustainable finance regulatory landscape to be to be developed further in in the short term, short to medium term, and so. What we then need to start focusing on is well, what is what are then the barriers to, to capital flowing into the areas of the economy that we need to see it, um, whether that's to corporates um, to transition themselves, or whether that's into the bricks and mortar of things like wind turbine and solar panels and other things um, that we want to see across the economy across the country. Um, so, so you know, we are we are very much in this position of now going great. We've got the regulation. We've been calling. You mentioned with over thirty years old. We've been calling for the the regulatory landscape to be in place for thirty years. Now we've got it. What's stopping money from flowing? What's stopping the, the, the transition from happening? Um, and that's the next part of our work as UK CIF now. We're moving into a new era. Um, and, uh, and over the coming months, we're going to be publishing a series of documents for the general election campaign focused on what government can do to work with us as industry to get the capital flowing into the transition in the UK. And as a positive message, build the economy, bring the innovations, create the skills, um, make sure that the, the most innovative and, and exciting companies of the future are based here in the UK. And that's the positive message that we're trying to bring. This ends part one of my conversation with James Alexander. In part two, James describes the mission-led mandate of UKCIF, how it works with its members, and how the organization has an influence on policy and regulation in the UK. He then talks about the political scene as positioning ahead of a UK election starts to impact government decisions. I hope you enjoyed the first part of the conversation and take the opportunity to listen to part two. Thank you and goodbye.